Welcome to the Pinocchio Project. I'm your host, Mitch Friedman. Ideas have consequences, and every day you're exposed to ideas that promise human flourishing. Our mission here on the Pinocchio Project is to equip you to examine these everyday ideas so that you can determine for yourself whether or not they deliver on their promises. Welcome to the Pinocchio Project. This is Mitch Friedman, and in this episode, we're going to continue our little mini-series titled Limits, Injustice, or Invitation. Uh, Let me just talk a little bit about my own experience with limits. Uh, As a young man, I was very adventurous, didn't like limits, uh, and I pushed the guardrails to the side. I transgressed the boundaries and didn't want anything to do with limits. Uh, some of it was my temperament or is my temperament. Uh, some of it is as a result of the uh, biblical narrative that we'll discuss today. Uh, in my later young adult and even older adult years, I was known as Mitch, who's going to do what Mitch is going to do. And I think the common cry in our culture uh, that would summarize that is, hey, you do you, uh, regardless of what it looks like. And my common response to, uh, Mitch, you can go this far and no further. Uh, This is something you won't be able to do. My response was typically, oh, yeah? Well, just watch me. And I'd have to experience the consequences of uh, transgressing those limits as well. So what we're doing here is we're uh, asking the question about our creaturely limitations. And when I say creaturely, I hope you listened to the last episode Uh, We are creatures, and uh, we are the product of a creator and his vision for what our lives should look like in flourishing. The last episode on the Pinocchio Project, we talked about the invitation to live a life of freedom within the limits that God had set in the biblical narrative in Genesis 1 and 2, which we know as the creation. Now, in the creation, we have a variety of limits for our good and for our freedom uh, as creatures in a creation that was authored by a creator who is without limits. Uh, God, as a reminder, is omni times three. He's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere all the time. I'm in reality not as a creature. God is omnipotent or omnipotent. That means he is capable of doing everything. He has the power to accomplish anything and everything. As a creature, I, in reality, am not omnipotent. And God is omniscient, meaning God knows everything, not as data, but as sequence, as process, as how the story develops. Uh, he, is the, he is the container of all wisdom. And if you hang around with me long enough, you'll know that obviously as a creature, I'm not omniscient. And so from those two baseline perspectives, uh, we get the, the picture of the beautiful limits bringing freedom and life that God has given us in Genesis 1 and 2, as our, our original parents populated this innocent environment. So the inviting limits of creatureliness in Genesis 1 and 2, this is review, that we are dependent on our Creator for our very existence, our very sustenance, the breath in our lungs, uh, the life in our bodies. We're dependent on our Creator and others for everything necessary to have community and intimacy and maintain a relationship with each other. 
we have the limits of our biological, individually, our biological design and purpose. Uh, that is me as a male uniting for a lifetime with, a, with an image-bearing female in order to form and fill the earth in this beautiful invitation with limits to populate this beautiful creation. Uh, I'm also given now the freedom and limits within my design and my purpose to create culture. That's to, that's to form culture, to build family and have dominion and steward the culture. And I live this freedom out in the limits of time and space occupancy, meaning there are days and there are seasons. Uh, and I've been a, a, a promise that I'm speaking now, still in the context of Genesis 1 and 2, the, the creation account of a, an abundant and full and fairly, uh, I would say, easy life uh, from the standpoint of cultivating the creation that God gave us before this next episode and this next narrative begins, this next step in God's grand story, which is the mighty fall of humanity that changes forever or possibly forever without intervention, our view on limits. Uh, so I've titled this episode of the mini-series on limits, when invitation became injustice. And we see in the very next chapter, uh, Genesis 3, where this invitation and experience of freedom with the creaturely limits we've been given uh, became immediately a yoke of injustice. And uh, we, cha we changed our view on the limits that God insists we live within. Uh, the, Genesis 3 is sort of the cry of the autonomous self, uh, the, the I can have it all, uh, whatever that means, uh, expression of now fallen or sinful, uh, disobedient, rebellious image bearers that uh, occurs in just the blink of an eye or just the, the uh, characteristic change in the bite of a prohibited fruit from a prohibited tree in the midst of this beautifully magnificent, large, expansive garden that God had provided. And he just said, don't go any further than this. Do not sample this tree. And that was God reminding his creatures that as creator, he had not just the authority, but the responsibility to be their lawgiver. He created them. He knows what flourishing looks like. He knows how behavior is to be uh, pursued by the image bearers, by the creatures, in order to experience all the promises of abundant life. But in Genesis 3, there was a lie that was introduced in the garden. I pulled it up here uh, just for my quick review. And uh, in Genesis chapter 3, we see the, the, the entrance of, a, of an alternative to uh, beautiful, inviting creaturely limits. And uh, the problem is, it's assumed that God has not acted in the best interest of his image bearers. In uh, Genesis 3, we see the introduction of a serpent, who we know from later in the biblical text is actually uh, the accuser, uh, Satan, uh, the great dragon. Uh, and this is his first appearance in the text. And it's appropriate that we know this is the first appearance because the man and the woman were living in beautiful, inviting freedom uh, and intimacy with God and each other. And then the serpent introduces the possibility that God may not be acting in their best interest. Uh, did God really say, Genesis 3, 1, from the serpent, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. And I'm not going to address the uh, the misrepresentation uh, of what God had said about the tree here in this statement. It's All I'm doing is trying to cast our recognition, our understanding, and our remembrance that in the, the beauty of this inviting freedom with creaturely limits, uh, there was a lie that you can live a life without limits introduced. You will not certainly die, verse 4, said the serpent to the woman. So that's immediately a life without limits suggested. Here's part two of life without limits. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So in this, in this one proposition with these two parts, you will not certainly die and your eyes will be opened. There is now the transposition. There is the, there is the, the flipping of the script. There is the now trading places uh, between the creature and the creator. Uh, the creator is the one who is omnipresent who is eternal, who is omnipotent, who is omniscient. But the proposition now is that the creature who, who holds none of those omni-characteristics can be transformed into godlike awareness, understanding, and power. And at that very moment, the promise that God made as lawgiver in the garden, in their innocence, when he prohibited the participating in the consumption of that fruit, came home to roost. And it's true still for all of us. That's why when someone says to Mitch, I prove the reality of the fall in me. When someone says this far and no further, I'm like, uh-uh, I'll go where I want. When they say, Mitch, this is not available to you. You can't do this. Like, I'll do what I want. Watch me. And then I suffer the consequences for taking on more than my creaturely limits will allow. And we see the pain and the suffering over decades, centuries, epochs, and millennia from the reality of this lie that we can live life without limits. And I'm sure that you have your own stories, uh, if you're honest, which I hope you are with yourself. That's the best place to start if you want to experience something different, just to be honest with yourself, that uh, you probably are not too excited about someone who puts limits on you. And so what I want to do is I'm going to change the focus a tad uh, from this broad understanding of the fall, and I'm going to bring it right home uh, via a theological bridge. Through the fall, this is a theological statement. All image bearers are now in rebellion to God and his requirements for us to live in healthy, flourishing limits to live within healthy, flourishing limits. All image bearers are in rebellion to God and his requirement that we live in healthy, flourishing places that have limits. They have limits morally. Uh, they have limits in our relationships. They have limits in our community. But we are in abject rebellion because we are now infused with the lie that we can be like God and we just do us. We are free to live a life without limits that we can imagine. Anything you can imagine. You see this everywhere. You see this in media. You see it uh, through storytelling. You see it, unfortunately, in the reality of headlines, that we do not want to be limited uh, by any proposition that we can't have it all. Uh, that's a theological statement. Uh, the, the grand theological statement is all image bearers are now sick with sin, which is rebellion against God 
and his assistance that we live within flourishing limits. And I want to bring it back home to how in our present day, uh, with technologies that didn't exist even a couple of decades ago, uh, these desires to live a life without limit and to be like God, to be the omnis, to be the omnipresence, to be the omniscience, uh, to be the omnipotence, that technology is actually uh, allowing us to live in this fantasy, what I would call faux limitlessness. We, ha- we have this faux omniscience, we have this faux omnipresence, and we have this faux uh, omnipotence that uh, technology is, is continuing to seduce us and keep us sedated in this lie that we can live a life without limits. Now, what am I holding up here, Jeff? Well, here in my four by six monitor come all the promises to this creature that I can live a creator-like omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence. And it keeps me distracted and duped and in this faux uh, security that somehow I can live without God's beautiful, flourishing limits that he's created for my creatureliness. Because through these faux technologies, I can convince myself that I'm not creaturely. I'm more like the creator. So let's talk about omniscience through technology. I can say, hey, Siri, tell me when Johnny Depp was born. And I can immediately have information. Omniscience means that I know everything. Well, I can ask Siri almost anything. Hey, Siri, what's the population of Moscow? Hey, Siri, can God make a rock so big that he can't even lift it? And I have this idea that because I have this functionality through technology that somehow all data and all, of, all information is available to me, that I am somehow now living a life without limits. But data and facts are not at all what it means to experience omniscience. So this idea that through technology I can know everything has little or nothing to do with the character of God and his omniscience. Uh, I, I, wrote, I wrote something down here. Let me see if I can phrase it up well. When we say that God is omniscient, uh, what we're not saying is that he is simply able to store more facts and information about the world and the universe in his mind than a human being can store in their mind. The knowledge that God has of the universe is independent of the universe, meaning that he had the universe in mind <laughs> before the universe existed. In fact, I continue to try to flesh this out. God's knowledge of the universe is not a consequence of the universe existing. It's the other way around. The existence of the universe is a consequence of God's knowledge. And as such, unlike humans, unlike image bearers, his knowledge is not dependent on some sensory experience or any physical matter and is outside of time. I know that's a big statement. Uh, What I'm simply trying to get at is any idea that I can be omniscient because of technology is literally just me being phony in the sense of I can store, I can access, uh, I can I can now sort data and facts. Uh, there was no fact that is now in existence that was not in God's mind before that very fact did exist. Uh, so God, in his um, omniscience, 
He knows all things, and therefore from that knowledge, all things come to being and are maintained, not the other way around. Let me go on to technology and omnipotence. Uh, what, I, what I hold in my hand here in my phone and other technologies such as medical technologies, uh, such as automotive technologies, such as aviation technologies, uh, we get this idea that through technology we can do anything. Uh, uh, Peter Thiel, who is a, I would call a technocrat, a technocrat is somebody who believes technology is going to save us. He says this, humans are distinguished from other species. Uh, he's right about that. We are the crown jewel. However, let's read on. Humans are distinguished from other species by our ability to work miracles. We call these miracles technology. And so what I become a victim of is this lie that as technology improves, I actually now am in the place of God all the way back to the garden. I am now not the creature but the creator and that I can work miracles. But what we miss here is there is nothing technology can do to actually create material. They can't, any technology uh, developed by human beings cannot ex nihilo, out of nothing, create resources from which to build technologies or to refine materials toward technologies or to refine materials, for example, to make microchips. Uh, we, are, we are co-creators with God, but not ex nihilo, not out of nothing. But the, the whole technology lie that uh, feigns our omnipotence is that through technology, we can do anything. So omniscience, omnipotence, and finally, let's look at omnipresence. Through technology now, I can be everywhere. Amanda Wortham, writing in a recent blog, said this, It is a hard thing to reorient ourselves, but is the only thing I will save us. And she's talking about smartphones here and uh and omnipresence. We know, of course, that smartphones are neither omniscient nor omnipresent nor omnipotent. They may still master us, accepting our worship and demanding more, but they will never love us. Now, this is really the point I want to get at. In our desire to be omni, omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent, we, we exclude the reality that God himself is, as our creator, in it for our good and our love. And as we trust technology to replace God, or we, we trust technology to build in us a godlike lie, we forfeit the relationship that the Creator has designed us for with Him and for other people. Our phones will never love us, never sacrifice their own interest on our behalf, never offer compassion or guidance or company. Their consolation is a loop of limited distraction. We would do well to step out of the digital infinite and turn our, our hearts toward the one worthy of our worship. So when we, when we think about omnipresence, for example, I can be anywhere all the time. Uh, I certainly can have a Zoom call with someone on the other side of the world. I can look at news from the most remote places in the world. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I have now the ability to impact through love and sacrifice and through compassion or guidance anything that's worthy of, of a godlike characteristic or attribute. Uh, only when I return to the one who has given me all things to flourish within limits can I understand my place as creature under the authority and the loving care of the Creator. So we've talked about creation, and we've talked about the fall. 
But what I want to do next time on the Pinocchio Project is discuss the return from injustice to invitation of the limits that the Creator provides us. Until next time, Mitch Friedman, the Pinocchio Project. Thanks so much for being with us on the Pinocchio Project today. If this podcast has value for you, please subscribe or follow. Give us a five-star rating and share. If you have an everyday idea you'd like to submit for us to examine, simply email us at pinocchioprojectpod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at pinocchiopod, or you can hit the links in the show notes below. Thanks again for listening. And remember, your everyday ideas have significant consequences.